0: Thank you. What, what is the hope of Christmas? What is the hope of Christmas? I see the word hope all the time at Christmas. I see it on decorations and Christmas ornaments and stockings and signs. Maybe I'm spending way too much time, way too much time roaming around Hobby Lobby and Michaels, but uh, I'm not there on my own choice. I just want to throw that out there. But But as I'm roaming around, it does seem like hope is one of those words that gets attached to Christmas and the Christmas season. And that's why during these weeks building up to Christmas, as we're observing Advent and reminding ourselves of what it means that Christ came or what it means that he's coming again, that we wanted to focus on some of these words and and really help understand them a little bit. And that's why this morning I want to talk about hope and really what is the hope of, of Christmas and And for some, it's maybe getting those things on your Christmas list. Uh, Dare I say I am old enough that the uh, catalog used to come in the mail from Sears. And uh, it was the best time of year because most of the year the Sears catalog was pretty boring. Uh, It was a lot of clothes and appliances. Uh, But at Christmas, before Christmas, it was the Christmas toy catalog. And I I would spend hours making my list of things my parents had no intention of ever buying me. But I would still spend hours making my list, making sure they knew the page number and page location so there was no confusion to make sure that I got what I was uh, looking for. Uh, interestingly enough, I think my kids just sent me links to Amazon lists now. It's just one of those where uh, they, they, they send those gifts that way. But for some, that's what the hope of, of Christmas is. It's, it's getting that gift that you were hoping for. For some of you, maybe it's the hope of getting everybody together. Maybe it's been one of those years where everybody has felt separated and gone their different ways and in the business of the year, you're, you're hopeful that everybody will be together for Christmas. You know, I, I still remember as a, as a kid, the, I think it's Maxwell House has the commercial where, you know, the, the sun shows up Christmas morning and nobody was expecting how many surprises. I used to want to leave so I could come back and be welcomed like that. Um, but it just, that, that hope that everybody's gonna be able to come and everybody's gonna be there and, and, and yet sometimes that even just kind of amplifies how painful it is when, when everybody can't be. Or when, maybe when they're all there and they, and they don't get along is also a reality of that. Maybe it's the hope of having that special holiday food that you only have at Christmas. Uh, for my side of the family, it is the pursuit of the cherry turnover for Christmas morning that becomes our obsession, uh, these weeks. But, but it could it be more than that. Could, could the hope of Christmas be more than just getting the gifts we're hoping for or having the gatherings that we would want or even, even some of that, that special food? I, I think for some, all those things we hope might just even work as a, as a distraction for us from some of the maybe the pain and the loss that we're feeling and we're experiencing and the discouragement. We're we're hoping that we'll somehow be distracted from the everyday routine of our present lives and and hoping that this season will bring about a a sense of new life and new purpose as we look at moving into a new year that maybe this next year is going to be different. That's, That's, I think, a lot of the hope that maybe we long for at Christmas. But this morning... I want us to see together that real hope, the real hope of Christmas is found only in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that the hope of Christmas, the hope to be celebrated isn't in the things or the gatherings or the foods or the opportunities. It's truly only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And and to, to, to walk through that, I want you to turn to the book of Titus with me. You would open your Bibles to Titus. Titus is oh, probably halfway towards the back of our New Testament. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a young pastor. Uh, maybe he might have been the first interim pastor that we ever thought about. He was somebody who was, was put in charge of helping equip other leaders. He was helping the church in transition. Uh, it's one of my favorite of, of the New Testament letters because I really think it helps it helps inform followers of Jesus how we should live in a messed up world, uh, and, and maybe you you haven't come to that conclusion just yet. But I really think that that Titus is is written in in a way that helps us see what is it that we hold on to. How is how should we obedient? How should we follow Christ? What is what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in a messed up world? Even as even as chapter two begins, there's some very interesting sections here about how we should live and how we should. Conduct ourselves. How we should live in a way that doesn't bring shame on the gospel. How we should live in a way that 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 makes the gospel attractive to those that see us. We should live in a way that that makes the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. And by the time we get to verse eleven, we kind of see the so. How does this all? How does this all work? How does this go together? How does the advice in verses one through ten of this chapter work itself out? And I think it's going to give us a wonderful. Picture of true, real Christmas hope. So if you would, follow along with me. I want to begin reading in verse 11, and we'll read down through verse 15 this morning of Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave His life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us His very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. And then, like I said, he wraps up all those things he was talking about in those first 10 verses when he says, you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone regard what you say. But I want us to focus on this picture of the blessed hope. In verse 13, this hope that we're looking forward to, this anticipation hope, this, this hope in honestly who Jesus is and all he has done. And and I think Paul shows that to Timothy, even as the way he lays out these few verses that we'll look at this morning. In the first one, in verse 11, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. He's talking about the work of Jesus in the past, the past work of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done for us in making us right with God. This spelled out for us in verse 14 when he said he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and and to make us his very own people. That's the picture of what it means to be restored, to receive the 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 grace of God and the mercy of God and to receive the salvation of God. That salvation coming to all people comes to us through what Christ has done for us on the cross. That's the the, the picture that's being displayed here. Sometimes we use the word justification to describe that. It's, it's this picture of what Jesus has done on our behalf. It's the, it's the heartbeat. It's the root of our salvation that comes in Christ alone and what Christ has done. His death cleansed us from every sin. And I want you to notice that every kind of sin. I know sometimes we sometimes feel like there's different standards for sin. And sometimes we might be overwhelmed by maybe sins that we have committed in our lives to feel like, well, I I can't be forgiven for those. I can't be forgiven for that one. But the salvation that Jesus brought us on the cross, He says every kind of sin. There is no sin that we have committed in our lives that is too great for God to forgive. There is no sin that you and I have committed that His grace and His sacrifice wasn't sufficient to wipe away. I mean, This is the heart of the good news for you and I. So wherever we are this morning, whatever we might be struggling with, maybe you've said one of those ridiculous things, and I I, I apologize if that sounds harsh, but we sometimes say ridiculous things like I know God can forgive me, but I just can't forgive myself. That's a really awful thing to say. Because now we're saying that somehow we have a greater moral judgment than God? That we can somehow say that that that, that we, we somehow have a better understanding of sin than He does? The one we have sinned against? That's an awful thing to say. What we do want to see, though, is the good news here that says because of what Christ has done, I can receive the saving grace of Jesus and be forgiven of every sin. Every sin. Not some sins, but every sin. That's the grace that we celebrate. That's the hope that we have. Regardless of where we have been, what we have done, even honestly what we are continuing to struggle with, what the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us here is that His grace revealed to us through the saving work of Jesus, this past picture of what Christ has done for us, cleanses us from every kind of sin and makes us His very own people. But then notice kind of the second thing that happens after that, that that forgiveness, that grace, that mercy that we receive from God. He then tells us that it's not just what Christ has done for us in the past, bringing salvation to all people. It's not just the saving grace that we have received, but we're also receiving this beautiful transforming grace or a a training grace for us that now all of the things in this chapter that he has called them to do, how he's called them to promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching, to be self-controlled to live wisely, he talks about older men living in a way older women living in a way that honors god and and younger. Uh, Women the same way and older men and younger men living wisely. All these things he gives us. He gives us this present, transforming, training grace to help us. Look at what he says in 12. And we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. He equips us for that through this work as well too. In the present work of Christ in our lives, it is not just that He said, here's the standard I want you to live up to. You better go get your act together. You better pick yourself up and do right now. No, we know that the grace that God gives us is not only grace that affects our life in the past, but it is also grace for us in the here and the now and the present. It's this training, transforming grace that helps us live lives of wisdom, righteousness, and devotion. These aren't held up to us as as standards that we can't meet. They're held up to us as standards that God is equipping and encouraging through the power of His Holy Spirit, through the gift of His Word, through the wonderful blessing of the local church, that we might encourage and build one and up continually for these things. Even listen in verse 15. Teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. There's a picture of the continual transforming work of Jesus. Even this transforming notion, we sometimes call it sanctification. We sometimes uh, call it this progress of becoming more and more like God, this becoming more and more holy, representing more and more of, of what He looks like. We know we can't do that out of our own strength we must depend on Christ's present work in our lives through this transforming, training grace to bring that about for us. So again, it's not just His work in the past. We don't just look at the cross and say, that's what He did for us, but now i gotta, I got to work it out myself. That's, I think that's confusing for us. Now, there is some effort involved in this, some discipline that we're called to, but yet we know it is only by God's transforming grace can you and i ever exhibit the kind of things that he's calling us to this this call to live a disciplined life this this picture of of what it means to to uh to have a uh, to live in this evil world with wisdom righteousness and devotion that's an overwhelming burden for us to carry apart from the transforming grace of jesus that we experience through sanctification becoming more and more like him in in every way And thirdly, though, I want us to see that it's not just the past and the present, but the the forward-looking hope. Again, some of your translations use the beautiful picture there of the blessed hope. The hope that you have if you've committed your life to Christ is not just in the past and the present, but you have this future, beautiful, anticipated hope. This future hope where we look forward to the day when Christ, our God and Savior, will be revealed. Did you notice that this is one of those places in the New? We talked a little bit. Of, if you were with us last week, we said one of the core doctrines of the Christian faith is the full deity and actual humanity of Jesus Christ. We said that's that's one of the things that holds the Christian faith together. If you, Maybe think about it like concrete. If you've ever worked with concrete, I know all of you have worked with concrete, or maybe just one or two of you have, But to give concrete its strength, they have to put rebar in it. That's the steel. The doctrines of the Christian faith are a lot like the rebar. It holds it together. It keeps it from crumbling. Well, this picture of Jesus being fully God and actually human is part of the rebar of our faith. It holds it together with great conviction and, and stability. And the picture here of Jesus being identified by Paul to Titus as our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, referencing not only His saving work, but also His full deity as our great God. is a very strong statement for the reader. A very strong statement that we don't want to miss either. And we look forward to the future work of Christ in His return when He restores all things to the way they were supposed to be. Back before the fall when we sinned and rebelled against God. This hopeful restoration that we have when Christ returns. I long for this hope. I do. Every time I struggle with my own personal sin and frustration, every time I'm overwhelmed by the brokenness of the world that we live in, every time I hear about something that you're dealing with or your families are dealing with, that's just this part of the brokenness of the world that we live in, whether it's sin that you've committed or sin committed against you, sin that's rolled downhill on you. Maybe it's the frailty of our bodies that are giving away more and more every day. When we pray about infants who are struggling after their birth, when we're dealing with people that we love who are struggling with their physical bodies letting them down every single day. We long for the day when Christ returns to restore things the way they're supposed to be. The way they were in the garden. When we had a beautiful, unbroken fellowship with God. When our sin and rebellion didn't distort the image that God created in us to be image bearers of Him. But when that perfect image is restored, and we live in a world without sin, without rebellion, without brokenness, without disease, without tears. I long for that day. And sometimes it takes a maybe a punch in the gut, maybe a sense of sadness to overwhelm us, maybe a sense of what feels a little hopeless for us to be reminded, no, 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 no. This world is not all that there is. This life that I have is not all that there is. My physical body, your physical body isn't all that there is. There is something so much greater that is our, as the words say, our blessed hope, our forward-looking hope that comes to us in expectation because of the future work of Christ. And, And again, sometimes the Bible uses the word glorification for this. But it's that picture of you and I becoming fully all that God created us to be. We'll no longer have our aches, whether they're physical or emotional. We'll no longer have our tears. We'll no longer have our disappointments and our frustrations with with the sin of others or ourselves. We long for that blessed hope that is a hope far beyond a holiday. That's a hope far beyond a season. That's a hope that's not dependent on our traditions. It's a hope that's not dependent on our ability or our inability to gather. It's a hope that's not dependent on ourselves in any way. It is a real hope. It is a confident hope in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, in His past work in bringing about our salvation in His current sustaining work in our lives, in our sanctification. And oh, the glory of the blessed hope, the capital H hope, the big hope, the hope that we have in the confidence of God is going to restore us completely to the way He called us and created us to be. That is, that is the real hope. If you uh, maybe you're familiar with the book or if you're like me, maybe you're familiar with the movie Uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. It's an interesting book, uh, interesting movie. There's a guy, Ebenezer Scrooge, who is visited by uh, by three ghosts on Christmas Eve. They are the past, the present and the future. And they reveal to Ebenezer Scrooge the errors of his ways uh, as an attempt to scare him straight so that he awakens on Christmas morning committed to being a, a better man. That's not much of a gospel. That's, that's really not, not really good news that we'd be so overwhelmed by our sin and brokenness that we'd recommit to do better tomorrow. That's it's a good Christmas story, but that's, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. What, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is it's the real hope that says that it is about what Christ has done for us in the past, bringing about salvation to all people, purifying and cleansing us in verse 14 from every kind of sin. It is in the present work of Jesus Christ in sanctification to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing what is good. And it is the future hope in what Christ has done that we long for and we look forward to that truly is the blessed hope that we live every day with. Every day we have the blessed hope of the day when all of the pain and all of the difficulty and all of the sadness will be wiped away. More than a Christmas ornament? More than a wreath? or maybe then the words flowing down the side of your stocking, the blessed hope that we have is not in just hoping for a better version of ourselves or we can straighten up and fly right. The only hope that you and I have is in who Jesus is and what He has done. Hope is a person. Hope is the person of Jesus Christ. So, so... What do we do with a passage like this? How do how do, how do we think about a passage like this? It, it actually even reminds me of our, our statement of faith as a church. Talks about the second coming. Talks about this glorification. It talks about when Christ returns. It talks about this blessed hope. And our statement of faith says, the coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and as our blessed hope, motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. That's what we're called to in a path. It's the hope that we have, that we're, that we're called together to be motivated, to want to live lives that reflect God's glory, to sacrificial service and an energetic mission. That for the believer, it's an opportunity to remember and to be reminded over and over again that our lives are not without hope. Although sometimes it feels like we live in a hopeless world. Sometimes it feels like situations that you and I encounter on a regular basis feel and seem and may appear hopeless. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, they are not. They never have been and they never will be. Because hope is a person and that person is Jesus Christ. That's the hope we celebrate when we gather together. That's the hope that we look to even as we prepare for a Christmas season where we think about through Advent not only the first coming of Christ, but oh, are we reminded continually with constant expectation of the second coming of Christ. When He will make all things new. When He will restore things to the way that they are supposed to be. For the believer, this is an opportunity to be encouraged and be reminded of the blessed hope that we have for the the unbeliever, for the person who does not yet put their confidence in Christ, who does not yet believe that Jesus is truly who He says He is in His person and work. There's an invitation in this hope. If you remember with us last week, we looked at John chapter 1 and talked about the, the picture of Jesus being revealed to us And it said to all who believed and received, he gave the right to become children of God. So there's an inherent invitation in this hope. This this invitation is not for you to remain hopeless. It's for you to believe and receive the hope that only comes through Jesus Christ. There is not another single thing in your life that offers you true, real, lasting hope. There is not. There's no warranty. There's no guarantee. There's no promise. There is nothing in our lives that offers us the kind of blessed hope that only comes to us through Jesus Christ. But for the, for the believer, they are reminded of this. For the not yet believer, I pray that they will believe and receive. Maybe you've got somebody in mind this morning. Maybe you're thinking about somebody that you know. You know they're far from God. You know they've put their hope in anything and everything but God. You know they're hoping their next job's going to turn everything around. Maybe they're hoping their next relationship's going to turn everything around. Or maybe their next big financial windfall's going to turn everything around. I pray that you'll think about a passage like this when you see them. That you can begin praying for a, a sense of openness in their life, especially during this season, where everything is talking about words like faith and joy and peace, and especially hope. Maybe you can have some fun conversations with your neighbors, your co-workers, your family about what hope is. And I I pray that you'll you'll think about these short verses right here in Titus that give us a an opportunity to talk about real hope. And what hope is and what hope isn't. And I hope you'll invite them to believe and to receive the true hope that is the only hope. You know, the Christmas Christmas Carols I was going to say it's a great book but I'm not going to lie to you. It's a good movie. But all it does is expose our need. It doesn't offer any real hope. What the Gospel of Jesus Christ does is it draws us back to who Jesus is and why He came, what's happening in the lives of believers now, and the blessed hope that we have moving forward. It is a transformational hope that changes how you and I experience difficulty and disappointment how we experience everyday struggles when we know that our hope is different. It's not in a thing, it's not in an activity, it's in a person, in what Christ has done, what he is doing, and what he will do as he restores all things to You know, as a as a church family this morning, I I would like us to, to celebrate this. Hope by sharing communion together, because really communion is a is a is a celebration of this very hope. It's a continual reminder for us of what Christ has done. It's a visible and tangible picture of this blessed hope. We're even called to do it until He comes. That every time we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. There's even a a sense of hopeful anticipation by which we share in this time together if you're still unsure of what it means to put your hope in Christ to fully trust in in his work in your life i i would just ask you to hold back from participating this morning it, it's not our heart to embarrass you in any way but really protect you in 1st corinthians 11 there's a there's a picture of a of a really dire warning against sharing in this bread and cup without the wholehearted commitment to what the bread and the cup really represent. So as as we invite those who have trusted in Christ, who have put their hope in Him and in Him alone, I'm going to invite them to come in just a moment and to take, take a bread, take a, a, a wafer that represents the body of Christ that was given for us. To take one of the cups that represent His blood of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins. Every kind of sin was forgiven by what Christ has done for it. That's what this celebration is. The sharing of this together as a family of believers is a celebration of the one true hope that we have in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And this bread and this cup represent that for us in a continual reminder for us. So I'm going to pray that God would prepare us. Again, that's the caution in 1 Corinthians 11 that there were folks who were taking the bread and the cup with no thought whatsoever to what that cup and bread really meant and what that really represented and whether or not it was a really picture of the hope that we have. I want to pray that God would prepare our hearts to acknowledge and celebrate the hope that we have in the body and the blood of Christ. The the work of Christ. That we remember the past, the present, and the future work we celebrate by sharing this bread and this cup this morning. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you. Apart from you, we have nothing. And we are nothing. We are separated from you. We are still in our sins. And we are without hope. God, when the goodness of your Son, Jesus Christ, appears, we have a new hope. A living hope. A hope in the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. God, thank you for the gift of communion a continual reminder through the Lord's Supper of the hope that we have because of what Christ has done on the cross for us, purifying us from every kind of sin, every kind of lawlessness, every kind of rebellion is forgiven for us in the cross. God, and we celebrate that blessed hope when we share in this bread and we share in this cup. And I pray that you would prepare us to not only receive it, but also share it together. Because God, you and you alone are the reason for the hope that we have. The hope that we have not only this time of year, but the hope that we have in this life that you've given us. Our only hope is found in you. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and the opportunity to celebrate that today through this picture of all Christ has done. In your heavenly name, amen. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to take one of the, the wafers, one of the cups, and return to your seats and just wait. We will all share it together.